0: In today's world, it can be really overwhelming when we see so much hurt and pain. There are humanitarian crises all over the world that are horrific, whether it's the Syrian crisis, the Rohingya refugee crisis in Myanmar, or the Central African Republic crisis. We get to the point where we feel bombarded by these stories of pain and suffering around the world, and we just want to help. We just want to do something, anything, to feel like we're making a difference. And more often than not, the easiest thing for us to do is simply to donate money, But let's be honest, donating money can be tough because we don't know if the money we are donating is actually making a difference. We can't tell if the money we are sending to a particular organization is going to actually be used to help people. What if there was a way for you to know exactly which organizations are doing the best work and the most efficient work and making the biggest impact so you know exactly where to give your money during times of crisis? Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of StillBeingMolly.com, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an amazing person who is trying to make a positive impact not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Catherine Davies, the founder and CEO of Iguasu, the world's first independent investigative platform that researches the nonprofits, charities, and organizations that are doing the best and most efficient work on the ground among the world's worst humanity humanitarian crises. Iguasu does the work for you and helps you to know exactly how and where to donate money to make the biggest impact. This is such a great conversation, and you're going to learn so much. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Molly. Thank you for this opportunity. I am looking forward to speaking with you so much. I have been uh, following Iguasu and the work that you guys are doing for a few months now. And I am just blown away by what you guys are doing. And so I cannot wait uh, f- for the listeners to just hear your story and hear all about the impact that you guys are having. And so I want to just dive right in. Is that okay? Absolutely. Thank you, Molly. So I am going to have you do what all of my guests do, and that is give us the Catherine 101. So tell us your story, you know, where you're from, and, and kind of how you got to where you are today.
1: Okay, well, uh, let me try to... To to can that in a quick summary Um, (laughs) so so I I grew up in the subtropics um, in a middle-class family in Queensland Australia Um, big Catholic family I was a middle child and uh, my first uh, professional work was in journalism I was trained as a journalist Um, but I was very interested in uh, international affairs and I ended up uh, working in London and doing a master's degree at the London School of Economics and International Relations Um, And I got involved in so many different um, sectors and types of work. I was working in the international charity sector. I was working for a while uh, for the Parliament of Australia and uh, the Parliament in Westminster in London as a researcher. I worked for a variety of different NGOs. I worked in banking and research with uh, Goldman Sachs and uh, I work, work in lots of different types of jobs, starting new networks, building websites. So mm-hmm. it was a very varied uh, role. I've been in London now um, nearly 30 years. And uh, about uh, it would have been January 2014 that uh, I was, uh, at the time, I was actually writing a book. Mm. <laughs> I had uh, I stopped my career when I was raising children Mm -hmm. and I did some part-time professional engagements and uh, was for a little while studying a PhD and different things but I really was very much um, a stay-at-home mum for a while and I took the uh, very uh, privileged opportunity to have a go writing a novel. Oh wow. uh, and uh so that was hilarious you know it's like you know you think you think you're going for a walk and up a few hills and and what you end up with is uh, uh is a is a very large range of mountains yeah and uh and so I was in for a major shock um so um when I started my second novel I was um I I hit a kind of block and it wasn't writer's block it was really have sense that this is not what I should be doing right now, and it was very strong uh, feeling that I had at the time. Um, and I was walking a week later in Battersea Park in central London, and I was, this is January 2014, and I was uh, upset about the Syrian war like so many people, um, and the terrible suffering of the Syrian people, and... Um, It seemed to be going on and on and this was 2014 and I wanted wanted to be able to do something donate to a good charity Um, but of course you go online and there's all these different charities and you don't know which one and you don't know which is effective and uh, I'm a researcher and so I I can I, I know a few tricks for doing very fast research online um, but still, it was just, you know, it's just such a huge and complex crisis, and uh, right. trying to understand effectiveness, and I'm I'm a professional researcher, is is very very difficult. So, I just thought to myself, um, I was walking in the park, and I just thought, well, this is nuts. You know, there's there's millions of people like me around the world whenever there's yeah. a major humanitarian crisis, and. Uh, they all have the same desire. They want to be able to help. They're very busy. They're time poor. They often are involved in a lot of other charitable work closer to home. They've got elderly relatives, children, and all kinds of responsibilities, professional and personal, and nobody has the time to do the kind of research required to determine an effective charity in places like Syria and South Sudan. And I just thought mm-hmm. with, the, with the technology we have, with the savvy, with the interconnectedness of our world, we should be able to do better. And we should be able to create a platform, a service, mm. a non-profit, robust service that honors and serves this global compassionate response to extreme suffering. Mm. So that whenever the whenever people see in the news where the needs are critical in the world, they can go to that platform and they can find out a genuinely effective charity. To donate to mm-hmm. and I thought you know this is this is crazy it doesn't exist and I had a look and there was nothing nothing like this nothing to do with uh, major humanitarian crises nobody was doing the kind of in-depth in-depth research required certainly not for the public yeah um and uh and I just thought well this is this is this is something and then I and then I kind of <laughs> and then I kind of it was amazing. I had this kind of rapid slideshow in my brain. It just went click, 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 and I just thought of all the different experiences I had professionally, wow. and my education and exposure I had to issues around the world. And I just thought, oh dear, <laughs> I think I meant to bring this into the world. It was like this, this. It really sort of, there were so many things I'd done which were directly relevant and I had especially seen a lot of dysfunction in the charity sector and I'd also seen dysfunction in the private sector, in the public sector and in the media. So I I was sort of really well placed to bring it into the world or help bring it into the world in a way that avoids that dysfunction right? and uh, and really honours people's um, desire to help those in great need. Uh, so so that's that's how it uh, came about. I hope that's um a brief enough story. <laughs>
0: yeah. Absolutely. So once you so you have this day where you sort of had this epiphany. You're walking in a park and you're wanting to help with you know a lot of these crises that we see around the world and you know the the idea pops into your head. And so how did you really get get going in beginning Iguasu and where did you even know how to start? And, you know, I, I'm just so curious as to when, when you create an amazing organization like Equasu that does all of that research and really is looking at the world's worst humanitarian crises and, and looking at the charities that are boots on the ground and are really helping in such a, a tangible, effective way. How did you go about tackling? I mean, that it's a bit of a monster so how did you go about tackling Uh that and and beginning uh beginning Iguazu and and how it became what it is now
1: oh great question so what's um kind of interesting I guess um uh is that I had been through a lot of I had the opportunity to have a lot of um time to reflect when you when you're writing writing fiction mm-hmm. um, and i had stepped back a lot from um my professional career for a while and i had actually the space and time to do a lot of serious thinking um, and self-reflection and self-development um, and so when this idea came to me I, I was really in a good place first of all to say that i think that's that was quite key um, and I realized that this idea, because I'm the sort of person who, I, 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 get, I get a lot of ideas, and um, but there was nothing like this one, and I, and I knew it was a, an entirely different caliber yeah. of idea that had come to me, and I just thought, well, hold on a second, I need to step back, and this has to be seriously thought through, and London, like any major city, is just a, a massive field of distraction. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went to a uh, place in the um, in the countryside of England, uh, overlooking the River Dart, and I had a week long retreat. And uh, I was able to um, I I didn't have to worry about my usual responsibilities. I was able to park all of those, and I went there for one week and thought of nothing else but how to best bring this idea into the world. And it was really. A very good decision that was the first really good decision mm-hmm. and um, and so a lot of the um, ideas as to how Iguazu works um, came to me in that week and and so one of the first things was if you're going to determine effectiveness in a place like South Sudan you have to go way beyond the documents that charities publish right and you have to speak to the people best place to know so you have to build a big network uh, of experts in that, that that know South Sudan backwards and know the different humanitarian challenges and the different sectors that are, that are the major challenges in that crisis and that know the different actors on the ground and really understand who is genuinely effective. And so in order to build a really reliable network, uh, you need a world-class researcher. And I had had the benefit of training at London School of Economics. I'd done a master's degree, and the first thing they taught me, and you had to learn it really fast or you would be humiliated, uh, is how to judge the quality of a source. Yeah. And uh, I, within a week of starting my master's, I had to nail that skill. Mm. And uh, so I realised that this kind of training would produce a research team that would be able to b- build a reliable, extensive network in every crisis we decide to cover. Right. And uh, and so that was the starting point, was building a world-class research team and building a network of reliable experts for every crisis we cover at Iguazu. And now our network and none of these people, they all, the people in our network are totally amazing, if I can just speak moment about that they 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 often work in really challenging conditions and they're the ones that are day-to-day working close to the horrendous suffering they often see Mm. so they're really close to it Mm -hmm. and uh and they often have ridiculous schedules Mm. and work long hours and 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 they're often in situations where they can't speak freely so yeah they 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 give their time to a for no fee. And wow. they welcome they welcome this chance to build a service that can potentially channel large scale effective support where in the world it's in seriously great need. So they they welcome it, they support the vision and the mission and they give their time for no fee, even though they have very little time. So and, and our network now numbers eight hundred and sixty four people. Around the world so it's it's a really magnificent uh, community of people Uh, so yeah that's that's uh, that's the starting point yeah and uh, we have developed a methodology because nobody had ever done this before Uh, nobody had provided this kind of independent investigation on behalf of the public Uh, nobody had built this kind of qualitative network covering the world's worst crises now we don't cover um, we don't cover humanitarian crises in the first world in the developed world. Mm-hmm. We focus on where the capacity or willingness to respond on the ground is limited. Mm. So typically in in the developing countries yes. that Iguasu f- focuses because that's where it's really difficult to know um, and and understand through through often dysfunctional uh, places. Uh, how how can I find out, how can I get good quality information about what charities are effective? So that's where we focus on. And we've built a fantastic methodology as to how we go through the research process. It takes anywhere between two to six months to do an, an Aguasso investigation. Wow. And we get to the point where we're able to recommend charities where we have 100% confidence yeah. that these are great charities working in the heart of the humanitarian crisis and uh, it takes a long time to do that and then the researchers who take the lead on each crisis continually monitor the crises and continually monitor the effectiveness of the charities that we recommend so it's a 24 7 365 day year service and it's just sort of sitting there um, ready to serve the public uh, not one of our challenges um, is that we've been so focused on building the service this massive network this fantastic robust place for the public to go um we haven't been able to invest a lot of time on letting the world know we exist and of course with all the noise that there is in modern life it's very hard to reach or, or audience so this this chance to speak with you and your audience today is is gold dust to us because um, our communications team numbers one person, the yeah. miraculous Carmen Ferguson. Oh yeah. <laughs> so so it's really uh, it's really great to be able to talk to you about it.
0: Yes, so you know, I I would like to just kind of talk a little bit about um, how you and and you kind of touched on this a little bit about how you guys determine the types of crises that you really take the time to investigate. Um, you know, this is such a... There's, like you said, there's so much noise in a lot of areas. And, you know, we we are constantly bombarded with the news of these things that are going on in the world. And some things get more attention than others. Um, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, obviously... We've, we've been hearing all about the Syrian crisis. We've been hearing about things that are going on in Iraq and Afghanistan and South Sudan. But, I mean, it was just a couple of months ago that I first learned about what's going on in Myanmar um, with the Rohingya refugees. And I was just – I remember, like, I like to think that I'm a pretty well-informed human being. <laughs> like, I, I listen yes. to a lot of podcasts. I, I read a lot of news. I mean, I try to stay up to date as best I can. And the first time I heard about it, I was just – I was in complete shock because I was like, how have I not heard about this before? And, you know, it was I, I heard some of these stories that just I mean, they made me feel physically ill as I was listening to the things that are happening to these these beautiful people and and these families and all the just horrific, horrific things. And, um, you know, how I, I guess I wanted you just to touch a little bit up on how do you guys determine you know, f- go into these areas and, and learn about these crises? And, and how do you determine, okay, this is a crisis, we are really going to wrap ourselves around um, and and see how we can make a massive impact? What does that process look like?
1: Great. Okay. So, you know, the, the starting point of Iguazu is, uh, is humanity, people's desire to give back, to be able to mm-hmm. help where the needs are critical around the world, so um, often we'll find that people will start to feel established in their careers; they're less struggling with the bills, and they'll look around the world and think, "Oh my gosh, there's so many um, different crises. I, I wish I could help, and I mm-hmm. want to help in some way." Yeah. So, so what? As Guasti's starting point is that. Deep humanitarian impulse to reach out to people in great need around the world. Right. So, where we started in 2014, and on last October last year in 2017, we launched our giving platform. Mm. So, so we're at this stage of Igwasi's development. What we focus on is where are the needs most critical in the world. Right. So, and there are humanitarian indexes on online and yeah. ways you can measure on the severity of need across different crises. So we focus on really the most severe crises. So the parts of the world where many people on the ground feel feel and and we can understand why they feel it, but I think in my, I think and I can explain why I think this it's not true. They feel abandoned by mm. humanity. So we're talking mm. about the most severe crises in the world and and the needs are great. And they do, they don't always get the attention of the different media that uh, that we all follow. So that's our starting point. Yeah. As a human being, I look out across the planet. I want to be able to help people in great need. Um, I would if it's you know we all have different interests when it comes to charitable giving, and that and there's some fantastic charities and working in our communities, in our in our cities, in our countries at home. Um, when it comes to overseas giving. Where we focus is where the needs are most critical so if you look at the iguasi platform now today we cover all of the most severe crises and the two we are currently investigating so they won't be visible on the platform yet is the democratic republic of congo and yemen Mm. and they're currently under investigation when when we have completed those investigations we will actually have covered the most severe crises on the planet today. Now, over time, as the community grows um, and our capacity grows, we can extend uh, the reach of the crises we cover. But our starting point is, where are the needs most critical?
0: I know you are loving this conversation with Catherine, and I wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor of the show, who is able to make this show possible, and that is CauseBox. Cosbox is one of my favorite ethical subscription boxes and I've actually been a subscriber myself for over 2 years. In each seasonal box, you'll find everything from accessories, home goods, and jewelry to the best in skincare and wellness products that are not only amazing, but they are doing the most good. The products are made by some of my favorite companies, and what's even cooler is oftentimes Cosbox collaborates with these companies to make exclusive products just for their seasonal box. Limited edition products that you cannot get anywhere else. The products are not just beautiful, they're useful, and each box delivers amazing value. With a guarantee of over $150 worth of products for only $54.95, or $39.95 if you use my coupon code MOLLY. And best of all, the impact of each CauseBox subscription box makes the whole membership even more worth it. Their upcoming spring box, which is amazing, employed more than 600 artisans under fair trade conditions in India and Kenya, and it put 100 young girls in India through school. I actually got a sneak peek, and you guys, it's incredible. CauseBox really seems to outdo themselves every single season, and I cannot wait for this box to be released. There are a limited number of boxes, so you gotta hop on it ASAP. You can go to stillbeingmolly.com cosbox causebox and use the coupon code Molly for $15 off. Now, back to my conversation with Catherine. I really um, admire you guys for really just kind of focusing because I think a lot of a lot of organizations and a lot of people they want to, you know, they want to just try to do it all and fix it all right away when. That's actually not necessarily very effective when it's more a matter of, OK, let's let's see where we can focus and let's see where we can really put our energies and take the time to um, to 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 take those baby steps and do little by little so that we can make a bigger impact long term. Um, Absolutely. And some
1: of these um uh, c- conflicts and dysfunctional crises um, they the, the tentacles and the effects and consequences spread regionally mm-hmm. um, so they're really important and and, and and have impacts much wider impacts than within their national boundaries and and if you focus on less critical areas what you'll often find in less critical areas is, is that there's other forces at play you have a lot of economic development um, on the African continent, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but these places where the needs are, are really severe, this is where you don't have um, the the impacts of that economic development. You don't have the growing middle class, et cetera, et cetera, um, and, and where the needs are really serious.
0: Mm. Yes. Now, I would love for you to kind of talk a little bit about how you know, you mentioned that a lot of the times when when we hear about these these crises and people want to help and they want to donate, um, there are actually a lot of charities. You know, people think in general, like, oh, if you donate to a charity, then you're you know, you're doing good when there are a lot of charities that might that are not very effective um, or are not spending their money the way that they should. Um what can can you kind of give some examples of? And you don't have to give specific organization examples, but you know, just kind of a broad example of how a nonprofit um, or a charity might be ineffective in a community, and an example of an organization that you guys have researched and why they are the most effective. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely, and and this is why. Um, Basically, when you donate through Iguazu, it's um, the website's weareiguazu.org. and when you donate through Iguazu, you're donating to uh, restricted appeals. Now, why I'm explaining that is, is it, it actually answers your question. So, um, what you find in a lot of major crises is that there's a lot of um, uh, there's a significant presence of of NGOs and charities that work in many different places around the world. And uh, but when we do our investigations uh, at Iguazu, the quite some of the quite famous names don't actually end up in the shortlist mm. at the end of our uh, investigation. Right. And now they may appear in other crises where they have a particularly effective operation. But that doesn't mean that they're routinely effective across all crises. And, and right. what can happen is that people can donate to them because they they're, they're time poor, and that's the brand they've heard of, and it's been around for a long time, and and maybe they have a good relationship with that brand, um, and maybe in some instances it's very effective. But in in what we do at Aguasu is that we we understand that every crisis is really different, right? And so we identify say, for example, it is, a, it is a global NGO and that operation has been identified as particularly effective and, and makes it to the shortlist of Iguasu, what we then do is turn around to the charity and say, look, um, our network is recommending your work, it's doing a fantastic job in this country. Um, if you would like to be recommended to the Iguasu community, um We'd very welcome, welcome you to be recommended. um, but you do need to establish a restricted appeal. And what that means is that any money you donate, through Iguazu to that charity is only spent on that operation because that's the operation that our network identified as effective. Mm -hmm. And now what can happen more generally is that you'll go to a, you'll see a crisis on Facebook or when you're searching online and it'll be a global NGO and you'll donate to that crisis and often the money actually goes to their global pot. Mm. It doesn't doesn't just go to that crisis. Right. Uh, But the question you have to ask is, are their global operations routinely effective? Yeah. Uh, so so you know it's 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 a difficult one. So that that's how that's why we build a network of experts in every crisis. That's why we stay rooted in the context of each specific crisis and find out who are the generally effect, effective actors in this crisis. Right. Uh, and we continually monitor it and we insist that the appeals are restricted now. I have to say, um, some of these global charities um, create this, you know, this interface for a crisis, and then put the money in the global pot for good reason. Because a lot of the crises they they work in don't get publicity, and if they don't generate push that money into a global pot they won't have the money to to send and support the operations in crises that are less covered by the media. So there's often good reasons why they channel money into a global pot to cover all of their crises. But 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 Iguasu, we must honour what the network is saying and the network is saying in this crisis, this is the operation of this charity. Yeah. Um, and therefore the money flowing through Iguasu from Iguasu donors must only be spent on that operation and what we do do is we cover the severe crises that are not getting the publicity of the media so that is our contribution to that conundrum is that we help raise awareness of the crises say in Central African Republic where a lot of people in the world don't know where Central African Republic is right. um, let alone that there is a you know there's 2 million people right now in CAR that are hungry mm. and you know every second person in car relies on humanitarian help to survive yeah um and it's a very dangerous place but there are amazing charities working in car right now in the front line of this dangerous context and reaching out to people in serious need and doing it effectively and one of those charities is on is on and it's called Triangle and they and they are in a magnificent charity doing an amazing job. Uh, so, does that all add up? Does that all make sense? What yes, I was explaining? absolutely. Does it answer your question?
0: Absolutely. Now Great. how on on your end, what is the business model like for you guys because obviously you have to be able to um do this work and and so do you guys take a percentage of the donations or how does or do you have independent donors that help to fund the work that you're doing? How, what exactly does that look like?
1: Great question. So, what happened at the start of Ikwasu? Is that I basically Bet the house because because I had seen so much dysfunction Mm -hmm. in the charity sector, and I had seen what had happened when an idea is new, and you're relying on external funding, and everyone and and funders can have their agenda, Mm -hmm. and if you're, uh, and that's why a lot of distortions exist in the humanitarian sector. Uh, So when your when your organisation has not got legs, you haven't had the chance to establish. What you're trying to do, addressing a, a frustration of the public in a particular need that's currently unmet, um, it can be swamped by the agendas and needs of the funders that you that you secure. Mm-hmm. So I basically bet the house and and use my own savings because I just deeply understood that this was too important. Mm-hmm. And um, and then and then you know obviously that's not sustainable longer term. <laughs> And so we interviewed uh, the, the the community of the of people who donate overseas, and we asked them um, what kind of fee would you be prepared to pay, if any, as a percentage of your donation, to pay for this highly labour intensive service to de- you know, the qualitative research to determine recommended charities in places like the Central African Republic, mm-hmm. and uh, and the consensus was five percent. Now. and it came from this the survey we did so what we decided to do was we started a giving pl- platform in october because that's was was the demand of the people that that had been connecting with us right. make it simple Catherine. give us an effortless platform for giving um so that's what we've created and it's um the f- feedback's been phenomenal it's uh it's been used, developed using human-centred design principles just to make it really effortless for people, which is part of the vision of Iguazu, is to right. make take it, you know, only takes seconds to donate. Yeah. Um, and so um, now as of October, people can donate through Iguazu, and there's a 5% fee on the donation. Now, it will take some time before that 5% covers running costs. And the boards of Iguazu, we are a 501c3 in the US, and we have a... A board in the US and a board in the UK. We're registering as a charity in the UK, and the boards are putting together a major crowdfunding campaign yeah.
0: uh,
1: coming up. Coming up, I think it's either May or June this year. Oh,
0: wonderful! And they're planning yeah. different
1: ways to um, support Iguasu uh, so that I don't have to keep carrying the load of, yeah. of, of fun- funding the running costs. And that funding, we're also hoping to secure the support of a reputable foundation or philanthropist who sees the potential and vision of Iguasu and how how it can become a powerful force for good in the world. And so those, those sources of funding we seek to secure this year so that we are able to pay the bills until that fee, mm-hmm. the community grows to the size where that fee covers the costs. And as soon as that moment happens, we won't need external funding anymore. So... But, you know, the great thing about it it only evolving now uh, into external funders is that now Iguasu really has legs. Yeah. We've estab- established the whole service. We have this massive network of, of nearly 900 people. We have a world-class team. Um, we have a fantastic methodology. We have governing principles we live by. They're not just words on a document we post on our website. They actually have meaning. We have created... A, beautifully innovative service and I have seen a lot of different uh, charities and entities in the humanitarian sector but I've never come across something as innovative and as agile as Iguazu because remembering we were determined to create an entity that avoided a lot of the dysfunction that I had witnessed Uh, so innovation has been a really important part of Iguazu since the beginning and when you are judging the effectiveness of others you need to have a really uh, strong uh, organization yourself yeah. run on lean principles and uh, and very transparent and, and and well run
0: absolutely now i you know I've read a little bit about the name on um, both your website and I watched the video about it but I'd love for you to share with the listeners what what does iguasu mean and, and what made you choose that name and why is it you know it's such a powerful name for this organization so I would love for you to share the story behind it Thank you, Molly.
1: Iguazu. Yes, it's a, it's a fun name. It is. Have, <laughs> it's fun to say. We now have a question. Do you Iguazu? Yeah. And, uh, it, that has the benefit of helping people understand how to pronounce it. Um, so so Iguazu uh, is a word that means big water. And uh, it is the name also of a massive river in South America, a very important river, a lifeline to many people which leads to an absolutely magnificent waterfall that is three kilometres in size, surrounded by forest. And um, they have all these waterfall um, surveys on the internet and, and uh, experts uh, in this, or whatever people who are aficionados of waterfalls, I don't quite know what they mean by experts in that context, um, routinely judge it as the most beautiful waterfall in the world. And, uh, and so... The idea of of using that name is that it's a metaphor for the vision. If we liken one person's compassionate response to suffering as a drop of water, if we can channel large-scale, effective public support where the needs are critical around the world, we can create something as powerful and as beautiful as Iguazu. Mm.
0: Mm. (laughs) I love that. Thank you, Molly. Thank you. I love that. So I had the great,
1: great privilege to visit Iguazu. Uh,
0: um, it sounds and, amazing.
1: Oh, it's just phenomenal. I, I flew over it when I was a young, young woman working for an international organisation. I saw it at thirty five thousand feet, and I just thought, oh, "What is that? that? That's a waterfall. It's massive." And I just thought, one day I'm going there, and and I did actually get to go, and um, and it was this. It was an incredible place. It's just a, any anyone who's ever been there. You talk to them about it, and they just their eyes glaze over. You know, it, it has a very. Um, for me, it was particularly powerful because I, when I went there, I had recently um, lost both of my parents, and I was mm. grieving. And when I um, I got to be in the grounds around Iguasu when the public had left, and I was just sitting there, opposite the waterfalls, on my own down the side of this path and uh, and I was just thinking about my, my parents and it was just the most incredible experience because it was like it was this powerful, beautiful feeling that they were so immensely happy and they were together and, they, oh. and there was this big feeling of love, this sort of wonderful feeling of healing. And I felt so empowered just sitting there in front of this magisterial gift of nature um so so that was for me a a personal uh beautiful beautiful memory of that place but every time i meet someone who has had the privilege to see iguasu they they always talk about it in, in similar terms
0: Oh, it's, it's definitely, it sounds like one of those places that you just, you have to add to your bucket list and make sure you I'm see. Sorry. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Uh, so Catherine, what are, you know, now that you guys have really kicked off this giving platform here at the end of 2017 and, and now we're in early 2018, what is your vision and what is your 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 hope and your prayer and, and all of that for the future of Iguazu and, um, you know, both kind of in the immediate future. And, you know, what is your long term visit f- for it, you know, in a few years or 5, 10, 15 years? Fantastic, Molly. So, you know, the, the great thing that would
1: happen right now is that uh, people understand that there is this service. And that whenever they are frustrated about donating overseas, they think of Iguazu and they wonder, hmm, what does Iguazu think? And it becomes the go-to platform, the trusted go-to platform when it comes to overseas giving. And so that when people feel that desire to help, when they see it in the news, rather than thinking, oh, there's nothing I can do, it's too complicated, I don't know where to start, I don't have any time, I don't know which charity to trust, instead of thinking that, they can think, well, actually, no. My friend told me about this place called Iguazu and they go online and instead of not acting, they act. And, mm. and and the wonderful thing about that is it feels so good. And there's something that happens to us when we don't act on that impulse to help. We feel, we can feel, us sort of slightly diminished in some way. Right. But when you can actually act effectively, it's the opposite effect. So, so for me and, and the whole Iguazu community, our deep wish is that everyone hears about Iguazu because in the, in the great noise of modern life, when you have this entity that comes into the world the challenge is for people to, to learn about it and to find the website we org, and, uh, and to, to learn about it and to donate and to use it and, and to actually realise this is this fantastic service that's just sitting there waiting for them uh, to be able to give effectively. Now, as for the longer term, well, if we just sit together, Molly, and think about what a massive force for good that is created, when the public work together and donate effectively where the needs are critical around the world on mass you are able to we were able to extend our recommendations extend the crises we cover Mm -hmm. and we're able to really start making a major impact on mass where there are major crises and the expertise we have already is phenomenal like if you were to ask any of the research team to come and talk to your group about a crisis that maybe your your, your group is interested in um, you, you you'll be flabbergasted by the level of expertise our researchers have because they do this day in day out day in day out so the expertise just gets broader and deeper and, and wider and greater in scope over time what, what's, what can start happening is that It won't just be about um effective giving which is really important um and the most important service for guasu but there'll sometimes be other actions that we can take always informed by our expert network so so say for example um the a Scandinavian government comes up with a really good solution to a particular crisis or a, a pathway for res- resolving a conflict. And our network of experts, we're sounding out and they're saying, well, this is actually really thoughtful and worth getting behind. It's worth the voice of Iguazu getting behind this. Um, we can then announce to our community and and, and with that impact of the of the size of the community and the kinds of people um that that often give overseas it's not definitely not the case in, in every case but they're often you know they're people that are typically well established in their careers you have a lot of um very thoughtful influential people now you just imagine this huge community um, and they throw their weight behind and it may only take them a few seconds to share it on their social media or however they um, re- relate to their community. And suddenly you have this, this broadcast capacity of particular initiatives which are starting to look at the actual prevention and resolution of severe crises. So, I mean, that that is longer term, but you can see... There's so many ways in which Iguasu can evolve but always rooted in this thoughtful approach, expert-led and consulting with a, with a very extensive network, really getting an understanding of what is the thoughtful way our community can best contribute. Um, and so so there's so many ways in which a growing community can extend and extend and extend its impact um, and be, become a powerful force for good in the world and our what a what a magnificent community to be a part of and to and to grow together i mean for us it's just an incredible journey and uh, so that that's a, that's that's the vision
0: oh Catherine, i love that so much and i just Thank you, am, Molly. i'm so thankful for you to, and what you're doing and and really like you like you said earlier you know when when you just thought Oh, there's this massive problem, and I want to be able to, to to do something about it. And you just decided to stand up and say that, okay, I'm going to be the person that's going to do something about it instead of just kind of sitting back and and wishing somebody else would. And so, I admire the fact that you were able to just to just stand up and 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 do something about it. And um, so, I'm going to for the listeners, I'm going to have. Uh, Catherine's links and uh, the links to Iguasu in the show notes. Um, like Catherine um, mentioned briefly, you can, if you have an organization that you would like to have a someone come and speak uh, about one of these humanitarian crises, you can actually request a speaker. Um, and so there's information on Iguasu's website about how to do that. Um, and so I will make sure to include all of the links in the show notes. Uh, Catherine, am I missing anything in that realm? <laughs>
1: Look, thank you so much. So, with regards to the speaker, um, depending on where they are in the world, so um, I do travel a lot. and uh, But typically it's more likely to be a virtual setup yes, that, we, yes. that we can create. Um, and on the website there is a, um, do you know, Zendesk, that, that help engine? Yes. Where, when you're on the website, you'll see it on the bottom right, um, and that's where to post a message to say, you know, we'd love to have um, a speaker from Iguasu talk to our group about X or whatever information anyone needs, whether mm-hmm. it's about that or anything to do with our crisis or anything about igua that's a fast way to to get an answer because the team monitor that all the time and and we're not some big massive organization we are a lean team and we are very responsive so you'll get an answer very quickly but thank you for for posting up the links and i'll make sure you have everything you need
0: absolutely now, this is the um, portion of the show where we just transition just a little bit here at the end because I like to personally get to know my guests a little bit better um, in just a fun way and get to know you on a, on a personal level. So um, I'm going to ask you just a couple of fun questions, and I hope that's okay, Catherine. Are you, uh, are you ready? Are you ready well, for it? I-
1: <laughs> I don't get a lot of time for for the popular popular uh, telly and things like that. So, but but so I hope that I can give you satisfying
0: answers. Over to you. Over to you. <laughs> okay. Perfect. So, um, you said that you you don't get a lot of time to to relax and and have fun. But do you have a particular favorite genre of book or movie? Oh, because I know you, know, you, you I, right I asked that because I know you wrote two novels. So, <laughs> yeah,
1: I well, my my fa- my favorite of all time is Raymond Chandler's The Long Goodbye. I, I just totally, totally love that book. Um, but right now, uh, my family and I are really enjoying watching Newsroom, the series Newsroom. Yes. Oh, uh, Aaron Sorkin. Yes.
0: It's just, I love just, Aaron Sorkin. And and I just
1: loved watching the post. Mm. Um, and uh, I've actually gone. I've actually seen it twice. I'm very blessed where I am in London. There's a little local cinema. Um, that's a fantastic film.
0: <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Well, that actually transitions me to my next question. Is is there a movie from any time in in your life that you could watch over and over and over again and never get bored of?
1: Hmm. Hmm. Oh, that's a tough one. I I'm afraid uh oh you know, even the post, I couldn't watch it again. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. i uh, not really, no. I, I, can't think of, I can't think of one that, that would fulfill that criteria. That's no, okay. Sorry. I, I have to wait, you know, maybe 10 years, and then I can watch it again.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, is there something, and, and you know, I was thinking as we were talking about uh, your experience of visiting Iguazu, is there something that you think everyone should do at least once in their lives? <sighs>
1: Wow, that's a beautiful question. You know, I think the first thing that comes to my mind, um, I I uh, did a very long walk back in uh, 2016. Now, I don't recommend this to everybody. It was a 600-mile walk. It was oh, wow. part, part of a, a campaign for, uh, for Syria called Message for Peace, and I was gathering messages of peace from the public and talking to the public about the Syrian crisis and I'm and walked from London to Geneva and met with the head wow. of the peace talks there and handed him everyone's messages so um it was particular to to my to my work but the 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 chance to have a a long walk um i would you know recommend to everybody to have the chance to just get up and walk out the door and have a long long walk and not um i mean clearly somewhere safe, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it is ideal to, I think, to be able to do this on your own. And um, and just to be able to to have that experience, I think it's such, an, such a, I feel so, so blessed to have been able to have done that.
0: Wow. And
1: it doesn't have to be um, a really long walk like that, but just to be able to really step away um, and to be in nature and to step away from all the usual concerns and routines of life, Mm-hmm. Um, the, the deeper questions lie there and I learned so much on that walk. I learned so much about life about Humanity, I, I was so moved by that experience um, I saw a lot of fear in people which I felt was 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 sad It's led me to start writing a book about I felt that people give their power away I, I it was a it was a really um a, a Kind of miraculous experience what, what I learned Doing that walk, and I learned a lot of um, things about, you know, when I went back to it, was the things that needed to be done uh, to make it even even better that it was, and just just so many insights. Um, so that's a that's sort of an experience I, I wish for for anyone who's able to to go for a long walk.
0: <laughs> that sounds absolutely incredible. I think I'm going to have to have you back on the show just for you to share about the, your your uh, <laughs> 600 mile walk. Oh wow, that's incredible. Uh, well, Catherine, this was just this was such um, such a joy to have you on the show, and thank you so much for, like I said, all you do. And um, like I, I, just am, I'm cheering you on along the way. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you, Bolly. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I love the way that Catherine took a problem she saw and decided she was going to find a solution. I can't wait to see the positive impact she and Iguasu have on some of the world's worst humanitarian crises. Be sure to give Catherine and Iguasu some love on social media this week. I will have all of the links and information in the show notes. And another huge thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, Causebox. Don't forget to visit stillbeingmolly.com slash causebox and use that coupon code Molly for $15 off. And be sure to sign up soon so you can get your hands on that new spring box that's releasing soon. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you are a regular listener of the show, thank you for tuning in week in and week out, and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Radio Public, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you subscribe to the show. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure that you never miss a new episode of the podcast. And while you are there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review of the show? Leaving a review helps me to know exactly what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. And if you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag businesswithpurposepodcast or tag me at stillbeingmolly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening, and go do something good with purpose on purpose.